Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Our chapters include Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Maine, Montana, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, Virginia, Washington State, Wisconsin, and something new, Australia. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey everybody, it's Tuesday, January 7th, and I know this is a busy time for parents, graduation, planning, summer activities, etc., and I just wanted to make an announcement on August 6th. This summer, yes, this summer, August 6th, we are putting in our second Safe School Summit near the Portland airport. So those of you who want to fly in, it'll be really easy. You can just take a shuttle to the Sheraton Hotel. Our keynote speaker is Rebecca Friedrichs. We are so excited to have her. She is the leader who stood up against the teachers union in the state of California. Rebecca has been committed and consistent in speaking out against atrocities, which they are, that are going on in the public school system and being promoted by the largest political organization, the National Education Association in the United States. Very, very happy to have her. We have other speakers that we're lining up. This conference will be focusing primarily on what to do. You need to be here at this event this summer. It is a Saturday, August 6th. If you're flying in from out of town, we are having a special get-together the night before the event. That's Friday night with Rebecca Friedrichs. Watch for our news alert. When tickets go on sale, they're going to go fast. Looking forward to seeing you August 6th at the Safe School Summit. We have been blessed with a brilliant investigative journalist, Christopher F. Rufo. He lives in Gig Harbor, Washington, and just came out with another amazing article titled, The Gender Variant Universe. Rufo is brilliant. I mean, his selection of descriptors uh, never ceases to amaze me. So I'm going to share this latest article by Christopher Rufo. It's very, very important. Here's the reason, guys. Because we have to understand the depth of twisted thinking represented by the transgender activists. Here we go. 
A consortium of publicly funded nonprofits wants to decolonize gender and normalize male genitalia as a form of authentic womanhood. Transgender activism has been making inroads into America's public institutions. The Biden administration has recently promoted neo-pronouns and gender reassignment surgery for minors. Government agencies have celebrated the expansion of identity categories such as pansexual and non-binary. And public schools across the country have adopted curricula teaching students about transitioning from one gender to another. Trans activists often present their ideological program through a series of euphemisms, tautologies, such as gender diversity, LGBTQ inclusion, love is love, protect trans kids, and comprehensive sexual education. But these slogans obscure more than they reveal. The deeper nature of trans ideology is much, much more radical, and the public should have a clear-eyed understanding of what trans activists believe. Beyond the protective layer of obfuscatory language. The best way to do this is to listen to activists in their own words. Last year, a consortium of trans organizations in Washington State hosted a presentation series titled Decolonizing Gender that offers an honest, unfiltered look into the world of trans activism and ideology. The event was hosted by the most prominent gender identity nonprofits in the region. Traction, Lavender Rights Project, Black Trans Task Force, Gender Justice League, and Utopia Washington, all of which run programs for minors and receive taxpayer support. Traction, the primary organizer of the event, did not return a request for comment. The panelists represented a wide range of idiosyncratic identities expressed in a mixture of new age and intersectional language. The more obscure and oppressed, the greater the status within the community. The main presenter, trans activist Malcolm Shanks, said he was a descendant of black slaves and Taino tribesmen and used to identity as gender fluid, but has been identifying more recently as a little bit more gaseous or plasma-like. You can't make this up, people. I continue. Randy Ford, a fundraiser for the Lavender Rights Project and Black Male to Female Trans Femme, said she uses she, her, and goddess as pronouns. Makira Gaines a program coordinator for the Gender Justice League, said she uses no pronouns and identifies as non-binary and kind of like a black hole. Ganesha Gold Buffalo, 
a male-to-female trans prostitute and activist at the Black Trans Task Force, said she identifies as Choctaw, Cherokee, and Black, and with the sacred lands. To begin the event, Shanks led the group in a land acknowledgement denouncing white colonizers for seizing indigenous territory and introduced the main theme of the conversation with a long lecture on decolonizing gender. The crux of Shank's argument was that white European colonizers committed genocide against indigenous people and replaced the natives' peaceful non-binary gender system with an oppressive colonial gender binary. This was the origin of transphobic violence and set the background conditions for the oppression of gender nonconforming people to the present day. For Shanks, however, the white European male-female binary has always been a harmful myth. There's no such thing as male genes or female hormones or a male body, he said. White colonizers invented these concepts and imposed them on non-Western cultures in order to maintain, quote, a system that creates value for very, very few white men, unquote. This conceptual framework, a patchwork of queer theory and post-colonial theory, provides trans activists with a powerful victim narrative and a general explanation for individual suffering. A common thread through the presentations was the articulation of personal pain and trauma, which they say are caused by colonialism and can be mitigated or transcended through queer identity constructs. My first introduction to colonialism looked a lot like me waking up at four in the morning, five in the morning, every morning to sounds of my ancestors screaming from outside my window, coming from the ground, coming from the earth, said Ganesha Gold Buffalo, the trans prostitute. Quote, I followed those screams into the woods as a child and was taught by my ancestors in those woods, in the forms of nature spirits, in the forms of elementals, in the forms of natural deities and old gods. While I was out there, I was taught many things and my mind was decolonized, unquote. Society not the individual psyche, is identified as the locus of such disturbances. As such, trans activists see the route to healing not through personal integration, but through the total and unconditional affirmation of their identities by society as a whole. Quote, For gender myself, it's been a constant struggle under colonialism, not to accept and affirm myself, but to find acceptance and affirmation and understanding outside of myself, unquote, said Gold Buffalo. Her desire is to live in a society that has been liberated from transphobia and affirms her identity as a woman with a penis. Quote, 
I 100% want to still be able to look in the mirror and see every part of myself as a woman, see every part of myself as a two-spirit, trans woman, a beautiful being, my mustache and all of my facial hair, my untrimmed brows, my fat ass, my belly, my big dick, everything, unquote. Randy Ford, the fundraiser, echoed this sentiment, quote, I want you to call me mommy, queen, daddy, if I want you to, unquote. She said, for these activists, the subject demands of gender identity must be affirmed, no matter how mercurial, self-contradictory, or absurd. The ultimate ambition of decolonizing gender is to overthrow the intellectual and political regime of white Europeans and reestablish the gender-variant universe that was once widely accepted in pre-colonial culture. Now, of course, we know that's not true. Malcolm Shanks argued that this campaign of gender resistance must not only destroy the concept of the gender binary, but also capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, imperialism, and white European land ownership. Now, I'm going to insert this right here, and that is the uh, Black Lives Matter at School document that we feature on our website, and I'll put that in the show notes, recognizes this right here, what I just told you. Continuing on, in the meantime, as an initial gesture of good faith, the panelists recommended that straight white Americans provide direct cash reparations to gender nonconforming people. Quote, if you have access to generational wealth, if you're white and your parents have a savings account that is very much so connected to slavery and land theft, pay people, unquote, said Makaira Gaines of the Gender Justice League, quote, pay people directly, give them the money so they can have the financial security in order to rest and to heal and to connect with their communities, pay that money to us now, unquote. Though this kind of ideology might appear to be the work of a fringe minority, it is becoming increasingly mainstream in activist and educational institutions. The host organizations for the decolonizing gender presentations have been remarkably successful in securing taxpayer funding and gaining access to children through educational and social service programs. Traction conducts education programs for transgender identifying youth and has received funding from Washington State. Gender Justice League has received funding from King County and runs a housing program for transgender identifying homeless minors. The Lavender Rights Project and Black Trans Task Force provide legal services for LGBT youth and have received funding from King County, Washington. Utopia, Washington, 
provides services for sex workers, runs an after-school program for children, and has received funding from Washington State, King County, and the city of Seattle. Though the ideas promoted by these activist organizations might be pseudo-historical, internally contradictory, and rooted in personal pathologies, none of this has stopped them from attaining political and cultural influence. Whatever their faults, gender activists have understood that their path to power requires public subsidy and the transmission of their ideology through educational and other public institutions. On that count, they are achieving their objectives. This is Parents' Rights Now. We'll see you at the summit Saturday, August 6th. Get your tickets early. This event will certainly sell out. Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Oh, and one last thing. It would be so, so great if you could help us out financially as well. You know, we have ongoing expenses every month and we're growing, growing like crazy. And uh, we do give assistance to all of our chapters. They can uh, ask people in their various states to contribute. So you might want to consider that if there is a chapter in your state, uh, you can indicate that you prefer for the money to go directly to the state. And Pre keeps 20% of that and 80% goes to the chapters to help them with their expenses for printing, etc. A lot of them are putting on events and we encourage them to do that. And so this helps them to grow and to take action. And um, anyway, just go to the donate page on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Thanks much. 